episode of our Construction Law Back to Basics NEC Contracts podcasts, a series of podcasts by Stevens and Bolton's construction engineering team designed to provide listeners with an overview of the construction industry standard form NEC contracts. I'm Claire Perry, a senior associate at Stevens and Bolton, and I'm joined today by Jonathan Farrell, associate. In the last episode, our colleagues, Gwilym Evans and Lauren Melnick, looked at managing an NEC contract with a focus on risk management and the early warning register. In this episode, we will continue to explore the management theme, looking at compensation events and the programme. So, Johnny, to start us off, what are compensation events and why are they important? So, most standard form construction contracts include a list of specified events that may occur during a project and may result in delays to the programme on and or have a cost consequence for the contractor. In NEC contracts, these events are known as compensation events. These compensation events occupy the same position as relevant events or relevant matters in a standard JCT contract. However, unlike the JCT, this is a single procedure dealing with both time and money, and it's intended to streamline and simplify the process for all parties. Effectively, the contract places the risk of these events occurring with the client as the contractor will be entitled to claim additional time and money if one of these events occur. So before we get into the detail, when considering potential entitlement to additional money for a compensation event, it is worth noting that there can be some confusion around claims associated with delay and disruption, which are actually two separate elements that might result in a claim for loss and expense in connection with a compensation event. So just taking delays first, extensions of time can be granted for delays that are caused to the accepted programme as a result of a compensation event. This is dependent upon the planned completion or relevant key date being delayed. Disruption is something slightly different. Claims for disruption result from the additional costs incurred by the contractor due to inefficient working methods adopted as a result of the disruption caused by a compensation event, even when there is no actual delay to the programme. The NEC contract set out a specific procedure that needs to be followed in order for the contractor to make a claim under the contract for either additional time or money in relation to a compensation event. Yeah, so today we're going to use the NEC for engineering and construction contract as an example, and all clauses we mention will relate to that contract, but they are very similar throughout um, the NEC suite of contracts. So a list of compensation events is set out at clause 60, but it is quite common for the standard list of events to be supplemented by additional circumstances. These supplemental supplemental events will be included in the contract by way of a Z clause or in NEC4 by inserting additional events into the contract data. These can be project specific or more general, such as force majeure. And clause 61 contains notice provisions, which place the obligation on both the project manager and the contractor to notify the other of the events that are compensation events. Where notice is given by the contractor, the project manager must notify the contractor of its decision on whether it's accepted as a compensation event, usually within a week. If the project manager decides not to accept that the notified event is a compensation event, there is an express requirement for it to give its reasons why. And if the PM fails to respond in the required timeframe, the contractor may notify it of this failure. And if the failure continues, the compensation event is treated as having been accepted by the PM. 
So following notification of a compensation event by either party, the project manager instructs the contractor to provide a quotation for dealing with the event. The quotation sets out the contractor's assessment of the proposed changes to the prices and any delay to the completion date or key dates. The contractor must submit the requested quotation within three weeks of a request by the project manager. The project manager then has a further period of two weeks within which it may accept the quotation, instruct a further revised quotation or notify the contractor that the project manager will make its own assessment. Importantly, the contract provides that where the project manager does not respond in time, the quotation will be treated as accepted. And where their quotation is accepted, the contractor carries out the work arising from the compensation event and its entitlement to money and time is that what which is agreed in the quotation. In practice, the contractor may sometimes be asked to prepare multiple quotations for different ways of tackling the problem which has been caused by that compensation event. The project manager will then select the quotation which best serves the interest of the client and the project taking into account factors such as costs, delay and quality. Yeah, so it's very important for parties to be aware of the timescales set out within the contract for responding to notices. In order to give the party certainty and to stop issues from dragging on indefinitely, where a party fails to respond to a notice or request within the given time period, they will be usually be treated as having accepted the notice. Therefore, it is absolutely imperative that these timescales are complied with. Otherwise, the responding party may lose the right to object to a proposal or to claim for additional time and money. In the previous podcast, our colleagues Gwillem and Lauren mentioned the early warning procedure. So the early warning and compensation events procedures are intended to interact and the early warning procedure in particular is designed to give the parties early warning of events which may become compensation events. However, they are different and it is important to note that an early warning notification is not considered to be notification of a compensation event and will therefore not trigger that specific procedure. So Johnny, when should a notification be made. So under clause 61.3, if the contractor does not notify a compensation event within eight weeks of it becoming aware of the event, it's not entitled to to a change in the prices, the completion date or a key date. And this has been interpreted by the courts as a condition precedent. So if the contractor fails to fulfil this condition precedent by failing to notify the project manager of an event within the required timescale, it is not entitled to any additional time or money in connection with that event. However, note that clause 61.3 does not apply in circumstances where the project manager should have notified the contractor of an event but failed to do so. But how does this assessment actually work in practice? The NEC sets out the procedure to be used to calculate the consequences of a compensation event in relation to time and or money. So taking money first, the contractor's entitlement to an addition to the prices due to a compensation event is assessed by reference to the actual defined cost of the work done to date, the forecast defined cost of work not yet done and the resulting fee. However, a 2017 case of NIHE versus Healthy Buildings in Northern Ireland held that where an assessment under an NEC3 contract was being carried out almost a year after the compensation event occurred, the assessment was to be carried out by reference to the actual costs incurred, which were known by that time. It is also important to remember that it is only costs falling within the definition of defined costs which are considered, not others. 
When assessing time, the impact of a compensation event is assessed by reference to the planned completion date or relevant key date as shown on the accepted programme. In relation to float, the effect of the reference to assessing the delay to planned completion means that the contractor owns the terminal float. As you can see, when it comes to assessing delays for com compensation events and managing the associated risks, it is crucial that the programme is kept up to date and the NEC includes a procedure within the contract for agreeing and updating the construction programme. Johnny, can you walk us through it? Yeah, of course. So another aspect of risk management under NEC is the requirement for a detailed programme accepted by the project manager to be updated as the project progresses. NEC is very specific about the information that must be included in the programme and clause 31.2 lists the data that must be shown on it, including, among other things, the start date, the completion date, as well as planned completion, the order and timing of operations, as well as provisions for float and safety requirements and other procedures set out in the contract. In NEC 4, the programme must be in the form required by the scope. The programme might be identified in part two of the contract data when the contract is signed. If not, the contractor is required to submit a programme to the project manager for acceptance within a period specified in part one of the contract data. And if no programme is identified in part two of the contract data and the contractor does not submit a pro programme within the time frame required, the client may withhold red retention of 25% of sums due under the contract until a programme is submitted so this is a powerful motivator for the contractor to submit a programme. Absolutely. It is also vital that the contractor keeps the programme up to date as the impact of compensation events are measured directly by reference to the current accepted programme. If there is no accepted programme or it is not being kept up to date, the project manager may assess the effect of the compensation event using its own assessment of the programme. The contractor may submit a revised programme to the project manager for approval any time and must do so if instructed by the project manager. In any event, it must submit a revised programme for acceptance at least as frequently as stated in part one of the contract data. All work to be carried out should be included in the programme, whether arising from a compensation event or otherwise. So what happens if the project manager fails to make an assessment? So the project manager has two weeks either to accept or reject the initial or revised programme submitted by the contractor. It may only reject the programme for a specific number of reasons that are listed in the contract. But if the project manager fails to make an assessment within two weeks, i.e. it does not respond at all, the contractor may notify the PM of this failure. If the failure continues for a further week, the programme is deemed to be accepted. So again, timescales are very important. Um, so that concludes our two-part blog on managing the contract under NEC. The NEC contracts place a big emphasis on project management and communication. They encourage an ongoing, proactive approach to the monitoring and management of risks, and anyone administering or working under these contracts needs to pay close attention to the risk management processes. In particular, the NEC sets out clear procedures for dealing with changes with time limits which act as conditions precedent. Failure by a party to comply with those time limits can mean that that party loses the right either to make a claim for time and or money or loses the right to object to a proposal put forward by the other. For this reason, it is vitally important that parties entering into an NEC contract understand the difference between these forms and other standard forms such as the JCT.
Yeah. And thank you for tuning in today and listening to this podcast, which is the third in the current Back to Basics NEC contract series by the construction and engineering team here at Stevens and Bolton. If you have any questions or would like any further information on what we've discussed today or during the rest of our NEC contract podcast series, please don't hesitate to get in touch with myself or Claire or your usual Stevens and Bolton contact. That just leaves me to say thank you for listening and to wish you all a very good day. Bye.